If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be a puzzling good time, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to how can we make a puzzle that fits the creative leanings of D&D. And how do you make a grand encounter feel like a satisfying puzzle? And are we smart enough to piece together any puzzles ourselves? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. I have low hopes for us. <laughs> well, I think since our last episode, I've recentered myself. Oh, wow. I'm a little bit more uh, positive, uplifted, hopeful for the inclusion of puzzles into D&D. You're admitting how wrong you were, how truly wrong. Uh, no, no, I would not go that far. <laughs> I've simply smoothed it down some of my uh, sharper edges. Fair enough. All right, good. Good to grow. I'm excited to see if we can make puzzles function well within D&D. Well, to get started, let's do a quick recap of that first episode. The steps to putting puzzles in your game were determine what kind of puzzle you want to add, ask your players if they'd be open to this type of puzzle, start easy, make the goal clear, give feedback, build them into the world, but make it clear it's a separate thing and have a plan for failure or an alternate route. So we wanted to find a really good puzzle encounter that somebody created and see if we can make sure that all of these steps really helped us make sense of why that encounter was so good, what made it so satisfying. And the one that we found was on Reddit by Conate the Great. All right, so these are the building blocks of Conate's puzzle. It's a clockwork dungeon. There's a door made of gears, missing one gear. Nearby is a pile of gears. The room fills with one hit point mechanical spiders that start swarming the party. 2d4 spiders showing up per round. The party can tear through the door by dealing 50 hit points of damage to it, or they can make a DC 15 investigation check to find the correct gear in the pile, or they can spend each turn searching the pile. If they find the gear, they can place it in, the door opens, and they press a button on the other side to close it. You can use a finite number of spiders. So this was an interesting puzzle, and there was just something about it that we really enjoyed. That it's more of an encounter than a puzzle. That's for sure. It's not like the typical, you know, it's not not a typical puzzle. I mean, the puzzle part of it is put a gear in this hole. It's not <laughs> super complex. I've completed most of this <laughs> jigsaw puzzle. There is one left out. See if you can solve. <laughs> so in that respect, you start easy. Totally. I know it's pretty clear to me what I need to do. I need to get the correct gear and put it in that hole. I mean, to make this easier and give them ideas on how to solve it you could throw in a door that they came through where a gear was merely loose and they just had to push it in or some creature smashed through a smaller door earlier to attack them this just gets those mechanics in their head and they know they can use them now that's a good idea the goal being crystal clear if the door is blocking our path and we know we have to get through it and we know we have to find the gear that's going to give me everything i need as a player to really understand, okay, what do I do next? There's nothing worse than showing up to a puzzle going, I don't know. There's so many levers and buttons and things <laughs> going on that 
I, I don't know. What do I do? And what's the point? Like, what are these going to accomplish? Yeah. Yeah. At least this is a big door. It's it's hard to misread this situation. <laughs> yeah. It gives feedback and you can give even more if you want. The door could look like it's made of a soft metal. Yeah. Like a bronze or a brass or something like that that could potentially like the more ornate it sounds, the more the players are going to be going <laughs> Can I smash through that? That probably. looks really delicate. I could probably bash that. I mean, bashing is the number one solution to most puzzles <laughs> in D&D. I'll do it even if it's an iron door. Yeah. Gotta try. You gotta try at least once. You could add clear glass tubes with the spiders in them just to kind of give the feedback of the amount of spiders dwindling. Yeah, because I think as a player that might be a little bit frustrating just wondering where the spiders might end. Does the DM intend to just throw limitless spiders at us until yeah. we solve this problem? Makes it feel a little video gamey. Yeah. I wouldn't mind knowing that if I could not figure out the puzzle, that I could just smash all the spiders, and if there were a finite number, that I'd be okay. <laughs> or just start smashing tubes. I think building it into the world in a way that feels natural is kind of inherent in this puzzle. Like if you're in a clockwork dungeon, the whole thing is clockwork themed. Yeah. That's nice. Um, but the the puzzle aspect I think is fairly clear. The the fact that it is a separate thing, yeah, it's like a special encounter, and that's what makes it unique. Hey everyone, you've got some tricky scenarios that that you have to solve right here and right now. You're probably not going to role play your way out of this one. Yeah. You're going to solve this this issue. That's true. I think there is something to be said there for the fact that this puzzle does need to go into a specifically clockwork place, though, because sometimes you're looking for puzzles and you read a good one and it doesn't quite fit. So you keep scrolling. Mm. And I guess the point of this episode is to help you make these. Yeah. And having a plan for failure or an alternate route. I think this is my favorite piece of this puzzle is that very clearly the DM or Conate has prompted people to say, okay, you can either smash through all the spiders and take your time finding the right gear. You can try to find the right gear in a panic and you can roll some investigation checks. So we've got some skill checks in there for those that kind of tend to want to do that. And then even with the, the ornate door, like I think it's important to describe that so that the barbarian and the party can piece together oh, I can also use brute strength on this problem and get through it. Yeah. And really everyone in the party, even if you had vastly different personalities and approaches to problem solving, everyone's going to feel like they have something to do, a role to play. The barbarian's got to get rid of the spiders so that the smart folks can analyze and look at the different gears. And we've got so many different ways that this thing could be solved. And of course, ways that you don't think of ahead of time and you let happen. Like maybe the rogue is trying to pick more gears off the door and see if they can get through it that way. Or mm. Yeah, just being open to those alternate routes. And you could always throw a longer way to get to that next chamber if all of this goes terribly wrong. Because <laughs> that's possible. Well, one step that was missed is checking with the players first. So this doesn't feel like it's a math or logic puzzle. So at least... We have that going for us. It's not going to feel too out of place. Yeah, it's not going to halt any thought processes. You know, I would feel pretty comfortable just dropping this this whole scenario into my game. However, there is that question of what if it doesn't fit in my game? Like, what if I need to make my own puzzle? I'm I'm not a mathematician. 
I, I'm not going to be able to do that on my own. Nobody accused you of being as such. <laughs> Don't worry. What are the steps to help me craft my own puzzle, even though I am not personally a puzzle master by any stretch of the imagination? Well, I think you can make puzzles that fit your games by inspiring them from the character's actions and basing them on the premise of all D&D challenges, which this puzzle does pretty well. The DM lays out a problem, players creatively solve it. That's the game. Does that count as a puzzle? Is that a puzzle? What? Creatively solving a problem? Well, I guess so. <laughs> I stand corrected. I guess the moral of the story is, is that there were puzzles in all of us the entire time. <laughs> yeah, the answer's inside you. <laughs> the hallmark finish of my quest to destroy puzzles. <laughs> I guess the difference between the last episode and this one is the last episode was talking about puzzles with one answer, and this one's talking about puzzles with whatever answer you come up with. The other reason we're doing this episode is because good puzzle design, like actual real puzzle design, takes a lot of work and a lot of playtesting. So unless you're DMing full time for a single group, you probably don't have time to make that kind of puzzle. If it takes longer than five minutes, I'm out. I'm not doing it. That's your DM style? Well... That's your prep? That's the point, yes. <laughs> That's what we're aiming towards, anyways. I have a life to live and more games to play. Yeah. So good puzzles can be done well in not that much time if we're taking leads from great puzzlers. Like, there are amazing examples that are being set before us all the time, and all we have to do is pay a little bit of attention to the structure and the framework that they are using. And steal it in the Strategy Stateroom. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. Okay, so let's steal from video games. Let's go back to Imagining Portal. Classic puzzle game, loved it so much. Loved Portal to pieces. One of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. And its basic formula is that it introduces you to a puzzle element. You get past it. It introduces you to another one. You get past it. Now it combines them and makes it dangerous. <laughs> well, well, you're exactly right because, I mean, the, the first challenge in Portal is literally pick up the gun and shoot it at a wall. And there there were absolutely no stakes to that. Then you, you step through the portal for the first time and you learn how to use portals in a low stakes environment. Yeah, you beat the level just by doing that. And then you put a box on a button and there's nothing in that room that's going to kill you or hurt you. You just get to explore what the rules are in a really safe environment. And then, you know, 35 million levels later <laughs> and you're combining shit and flying across rooms and using physics to do all kinds of wild shit. So how did we get from the beginning of the game to the very end? And somehow feel really smart. <laughs> yeah, if that game can trick me into thinking I'm smart. Yeah. Damn. It's satisfying. That experience of those more challenging levels is super satisfying. And I think that's what we want to give to the players with this episode. That's no mistake, because if you go back to your 
favorite puzzle game. Like, think of that game right now. Maybe it was Portal, maybe it was something else, but all of them function fundamentally the same. They introduce a concept and they keep building upon it and mixing and matching those concepts in different unique ways. So to do this with D&D encounters, there's not that many steps. You want to plan your puzzle encounter, dissect the puzzle elements, establish the solutions to those in low stakes, record successes, combine successes, and introduce your puzzle encounter. Sounds pretty easy, but uh, if we break those down, let's start with step number one, plan your puzzle encounter. So this is really where it doesn't matter the complexity of the challenge that you want to put before your players. You can think of the most ridiculous, convoluted, crazy thing that you could possibly throw at them. Super skookum puzzle. And if you break that down into itty bitty pieces and all of the different elements that they're going to be faced with and challenged with, then we can find a way to work them up to that. And by the time they get there, it feels super good. They're going to feel confident rather than betrayed <laughs> by a bastard DM that threw some crazy challenges that they were not expecting. Yeah. And this is exactly how to get me to tune out of a game. If you drop me into some crazy challenge or you just plop a red dragon on my doorstep, I'm going to feel a little bit caught off guard. And it's not a good feeling. Like, we want players to feel empowered and emboldened by how ingenious and clever they are. So imagine jumping to the final level of Portal from the very beginning. That's yeah. just not going to be a good feeling. You're going to have no idea what to do. And in D&D, when you have no idea what to do, you just start slinging your most powerful abilities. <laughs> and that's spending all of your fifth level spell slots. Ignoring all of the beautiful puzzle elements you've finally <laughs> crafted. You blow it up. So if we conceive of, say, a big ass door... Let's take from the example that we were using before. So we've got the grand finale. This door is going to guard the treasure of our treasure hoard. So we need a pretty respectable door to stand in front of players' ways. 80 feet tall. Yeah. Gears. You know, we like the gears element of that door. Let's electrify that mamma jamma. <laughs> yeah, let's throw 1.21 gigawatts through there. <laughs> Uh, what about some counterweights? Like, I'm thinking this door is so massive, who would be able to open it without giant counterweights that are maybe have to be solved? A magical phrase sewn into all that. No door is complete without some magic password. And I think we should throw just a big guardian, like something to fight in there. So, you know, as soon as they trigger the door, something comes alive. So... The next step is to dissect all of those puzzle elements into their base pieces so that we can break these down and let players uh, have at them. Experience them individually. Okay, so let's start with gears. How can we make this a puzzle element? Well, that was kind of done for us in that example earlier. We can just take from there. So it's missing. Yeah, I think if it's missing one of the gears, that would be really good. If it's missing maybe a few of the gears. Yeah, exactly. We can throw that element in there. Uh, the electrification, I'm thinking, is like I said, as soon as they touch the door, it might shock and, and just let loose this huge arc of energy that would probably hurt quite a bit. Okay. Is there any kind of a visual cue? 
It's electrified. Ooh, that's interesting. Like maybe a connector, like a connecting rod in the middle of the door that's unreachable is falling, like will fall into place as soon as the door is disturbed. And that kind of connects all of this electricity. Mm. Uh, Massive quantities of stored energy. So the counterweights, I really like this idea. I'm feeling two gigantic bags or these like big vessels of sand that are the counterweights to open this door smoothly. Or maybe it's like uh, stacked weights like at a gym. Yeah, there you go. Well, here's my here's my pitch for the sand. Sure. If they can go ahead and unlock the door, but one of the counterweights doesn't have enough sand in it anymore. It has been slowly leaking out yeah. over eons. And so if they try to open the door, they won't be able to because they actually have to apply more weight of the lost sand. But maybe if it's too much, the door it'll countermeasures yeah. the will mechanisms like, yeah. will lock the magical phrase. We don't want to get too real puzzly with this well i think a magical phrase can be a lot of fun because we need something for magic users to do with this particular puzzle we've got we've got brawn already taken care of so we need brains what if it's a combination of words that they've found up to this point Ooh, there we go yeah and there's like a a specific theme between all all of them yeah and then of course a we need something's ass to kick so we've got a big guardian I mean, just because we need grandeur and that holy shit moment, let's make it two of them. Stacked. Yeah. Big in a trench gear coat. golems in a trench coat. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, why do they have the trench coat from aeons ago? Who knows? <laughs> They're just cool. Trying to get into the R-rated mech films. <laughs> so it's it, it's two golems stacked on top of each other yeah. in a larger golem. Yeah. Trench coat. And they say, we need help to get through this door. It's got... (laughs) (laughs) There's a sexy movie happening behind us. We've been trying to get in this thing for six million years. (laughs) Smart. Okay. So next we have to establish the solutions to these challenges in really low stakes environments. And these are mega important. Yeah. And they can go by really quickly. Like you don't have to think of them as like a 20 minute encounter. You're just peppering these in on their journey. So if we're going through this big labyrinthian dungeon complex, I need to introduce these in ways that they don't necessarily get hurt by interacting with them. What I like about this is, I mean, the the story writer in me loves the foreshadowing. Like I love the, hey, this is going to get crazier But here's just a taste. And it makes it all feel connected, which I know that's the whole point of this thing, but it it just feels so much better to me than random things happening until a really bad random thing happens. Yeah. A big part of this as well is building your players up. Like we mentioned before, if you just drop something, a a big, audacious, crazy challenge, I'm I'm gonna have the opposite reaction. Rather than rising to the occasion. I'm going to go, well, fuck this. I can't, uh, this is too much. I can't predict the rules of this world. But if I slowly am introduced to one concept after another, and man, that last one was tough, but look at this one. This one's even tougher. And okay, so I I can conquer this because it's just a baby step to the next one. Yeah. And now all of a sudden we're prepared and we look at this grand door as a challenge that can be overcome rather than a surprise and our smug DM 
grimacing <laughs> at the end of the table. So how would we introduce just a couple of those elements in a low stakes environment? Give me an example. We mentioned this earlier, but yeah, you just have maybe a chest that has uh, some gears on the top and one of the gears popped out of place. Yeah, and it's a simple step to just push it back in. Yeah. We could use that in that example that we were talking about previously of just introducing the concept that you can use an intelligence check to do this or just trial and error. Yeah. But it's 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 a slow process, and you can say, yeah, you actually did it with trial and error. Good job. Uh, with the electrification, I'm really curious because if we had another door that was electrified... Yeah. It didn't have any locking mechanisms on it, but they pushed it and were electrified. And maybe we could put three or four of these in sequence. And the first person that's going to touch this, they're going to get a, a solid jolt, but it's not going to like have their their health. Right. A light shock. Yeah. So then they see the next door and they go, oh, okay, so we're going to have to figure something out. Let's push this with something or let's ground you. We could stick a stake in the ground and you can just hold on and then push the door open. And that actually negated and you took half damage. Instead of taking four damage, you took two. It was still just a tickle. Both were just a tickle. It's not going to have any major long lasting effects, but we learned a solution to the problem of the electrified doors. I think if you do have a sequence like that, it'd be good to have it increase. Yeah. Like if they do decide, oh, okay, I can just take that damage again and they touch it. It's like, oh, this one did more. That's a good a good call, yeah. See the pattern there. And then the Guardian, for instance, if we, say, encountered smaller versions. Totally. I mean, that's, that's a classic trope of here's the monster, and at the end you're just going to fight something that's the same, but it's three <laughs> times as large. Yeah. Hopefully you can make it a little more interesting than that. But... but if we were to introduce them to one small one and then they figure out its attacks, they figure out what it does, how it yeah. behaves, then when I introduce two large ones to them at the end, they go, holy shit, those are really big, <laughs> but we can handle this because we know how they attack. We know how they function. And then just to be a... <laughs> no, don't, don't do it. <laughs> Throw another... Okay. New attack in there. That's all I was going to say. Okay. Just to be a dink DM. Just <laughs> just one <laughs> new thing that they've never seen. No, resist the urge, Jordan. Oh, fine. All right. So we've established the solutions in a low stakes environment. So we they've they've got it. Now we have to record their successes. What did they learn? Did they learn the lessons that they needed to? Or should I be careful about introducing the big ones because they really didn't catch on to the lesson that I was trying to teach them with the small ones? Which it's not like it's their fault. Maybe it's you're learning to introduce these challenges as a DM. I kind of take a little bit of an offense to DMs that are out there that are just out there to punish and they, they do that kind of spiteful thing. Well, well, you didn't learn the lesson, therefore I'm going to teach you one. Yeah. And... That doesn't ever feel really good. So in this scenario, if my players were to do like you said, they just took the damage on three <laughs> increasingly electrified doors and they were just like, oh, just let the barbarians soak it. Yeah. Then at the very final grand challenge, I'm probably not going to make that 
the core uh, mechanic that I was hoping. But at the same time, they're going to still recognize that element and they're going to take a little bit of ownership, a little bit more ownership than they would have if you just said, this one's electrified, take exactly. 50 damage. Yeah, totally. Another thing that we can do is also record who solved it and give them a little bit of a boost. Um, even if it's just a, you know, a little tip of the cap towards a player that figured this challenge out and figured out how to mitigate it. And again, we're not going into any of these challenges knowing exactly what the solution is. There's a myriad of solutions. They yeah. can solve it however they want. That's the point of the game for sure. But if they solve it, we're recording who did it and what their solution was so that there are ways in the future when they are really struggling with this challenge that I can hint to that same player, hey, something clued in to your character just moments before you saw this mechanism slide into place. And I can foreshadow and I can give the players hints as to how to solve this. Yeah, do little callbacks. If, say, those players didn't recognize that mechanism sliding down to give them that grand jolt yeah, that may kill the party tank that's trying to take the same approach and just shoving the doors open, I can talk to that player that, that maybe figured something out a little bit early and say, something feels off to you about this. And now I'm supplying my players with all of the tools that they need to solve this problem. Something feels electrifying about this situation. <laughs> Definitely use puns. <laughs> puns are the best, and you pepper those in as much as you can. Yeah, that's the number one tool of a DM. <laughs> one more step that we can do is we can combine those successes. Right. So start ramping up the stakes a little bit. Add a little bit of danger as you combine an electrified door with two small guardians in a trench coat. <laughs> you just won't let those go. Well, yeah, I'm thinking throw the guardians at them and the counterweight. Oh, this one big, bigger door has a big counterweight on it, but you're also being chased through it. Maybe if you could get through it in time, you could close it behind you, but the counterweight has to be pulled gently to help it along. So we're introducing multiple concepts at the same time. And if you do want the lead up to feel a little bit more diverse, it doesn't have to be a door. No, absolutely not. It could be a bridge. It could be, you know, we don't, of course, want to spoil the, the grand finale. Yeah. But we do still have to figure out what those concepts are. And I think one last point to bring up with this combined successes stage is that we want to add medium stakes. Not, not death-defying stakes, but we can start to ramp up the intensity just a little bit, like with those guardians. Those guardians pose a real threat, and now they're, they're solving two issues at the same time. Especially when you give them knives. <laughs> Stabby guardians in a trench coat on, on each other's shoulders. And finally, after all that buildup, you introduce your puzzle encounter. This reveal is going to feel so good. As they start recognizing those things and they got to put it together in a new way. Okay, we got electricity there. All right, and they start strategizing and figuring out what they're all going to do instead of just walking in there blind and saying, okay, wizard, fireball, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I hate that feeling so much. <laughs> and I think knowing this means that you can do that on purpose. Like, I've played in games 
where the intent was to give the players that feeling that this is hopeless. I, like I have some really great examples from when we've played uh, and you've DM'd for me is, you know, you've thrown some stuff at me that you did not intend for me to fight. And over time, I've learned that when I have not been slowly introduced to a concept, it's probably not for me to fight. It's probably for me to turn my ass around and run. Okay. Because I am not prepared for this. Like when you're exploring a world and you've gone somewhere that isn't part of the story yet. Or you've introduced a demon lord attacking me. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a that's kind of a great example of how we can actually use that in reverse. So speaking of, we've introduced all these steps. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, is that we've kind of worked backwards from the major challenge. We came up with a puzzle at the very end. But could you not do this in reverse? Absolutely. I mean, really, we just listed off a bunch of puzzle elements and turned it into something at the end. So what if you just recorded everything that your players were doing in the little tiny challenges, and then you could eventually note down all of the the minor challenges that your players have faced and then you combine them into one challenge at the end yeah i mean if you've plan if you've planned out some kind of a big fight then you can just start adding those elements in and it becomes a much more interesting encounter yeah prior to your prior to your boss fight some of your players did a really really intelligent job of solving the problem that was the burning building. And now we add fire elements to a, an otherwise uh, a fight with a hag or something. And now we've added fire and smoke because they've already encountered this. They know how to solve the problem. They came up with a creative solution of a bandana around their face, which I'll, you then allowed them to mitigate some of that damage that the smoke inhalation would have done. And now we can introduce that to the boss fight, add another interesting element to a, a great challenge, knowing that our, we're not going to screw our players over. Yeah, and it also gives something for the monster to be doing. Stop that hag from lighting those fires. And that brings up a really good point. Creatures can be a puzzle. You could approach a red dragon as a puzzle to be solved. Absolutely. So how would you do that? What uh, what's What are some of their abilities? I think you have to... Yeah, so you have to take their abilities... And not just pepper them in earlier, but turn them into puzzle elements. Yeah. So they've got Frightful Presence, which is just if you're around them, there's a chance that you're going to run away in fear. That's a pain in the ass. Yeah. That's such a challenging ability. <laughs> so how could we puzzle element that? I don't know. That That is particularly challenging because that's, that's like a condition. That's, that's tricky to introduce as just like a scenario. If you wanted to just see how your players would handle that, you could have like a narrow hallway with a strange statue at the end that has that same effect. And if they oh. start walking down the hallway, then they might just run right back out. And so when they're when they're approaching this, it depends on how they solve it. And I think you you'd really have to just take into consideration whatever creative solution they come up with. Yeah. If it works in this scenario, it's going to work against the dragon. So now you've got the barbarian who figures out with the frightful presence that if they just cover their eyes, they put their hands over their eyes and they run at the statue swinging wildly. While the bard sings an encouraging song. <laughs> that that mitigates the, the frightful presence. Yeah. Or they have a higher chance of resisting 
that effect. And now the barbarian can do that with the red dragon, which might not work out so well, but <laughs> <laughs> they've got fire breath. Well, Ooh. yeah, a red dragon has fire breath. Yeah. Well, going back to the burning building example, again, if the player has found a way to mitigate the smoke damage and maybe the fire damage, maybe in that scenario, the players came up with a brilliant way of covering themselves in a wet blanket to mitigate that fire damage. Yeah. Now they know, you know, oh my God, you guys, we're going to fight a red dragon. Bring the blankets and the water skins. <laughs> like that, that becomes a part of their prep. And then you can throw in those flammable elements to the fight. Oh, yeah. Columns of fire and smoke and cinder. Building, like having it in some kind of a wooden environment that all of a sudden you're needing Ooh. to put out fires as well as... Shit. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I think if you wanted to take it an extra step and turn its fire breath into a puzzle too, not just the fact that it creates fires... You could, you know, have them encounter geysers of flame that give you a little bit of a warning right before or something like that. Ooh. And then when the dragon's actually attacking them, you can describe that maybe on the turn before you're planning to use its fire breath, you're describing it kind of building that energy and the red lines crackling through its chest or something. I could even imagine an auditory cue. You know, if you were walking through a lair on the way up to face the dragon and those magma geysers are all over the place every time it starts to spew magma up it does that like low bubble like yeah, yeah, just yeah. before a, a geyser really does explode it does a and it like sucks in air and then it explodes well if you can do that just on the turn like you say before the dragon's ready to use its fire attack it's got this low rumble and a yeah. low, low gurgle and you're like oh i better prepare grab the blankets <laughs> Absolutely. That becomes a pretty cool encounter. Or you could go another direction and have a little prospector in his throat that yells, Fire is a common! <laughs> what? God, the, you, you had me, and then all of a sudden you took a very steep left turn. Yeah, I can't justify my brains. So yeah, it's really not that hard to make a puzzle from any monster in that book. Yeah, you could... Yeah, I mean, you could break down any monster's abilities and start to figure out ways of making them puzzle elements. Yeah. And ultimately, players are just going to feel that much more prepared and that much more heroic. And isn't that why we're doing this in the first place? Yeah, and clever. I love feeling clever when it's unjustified. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's so hard to do that when you're not prepped and you don't feel confident to solve the challenge that's ahead. So let us know what monsters you turned into a puzzle. Heck yeah. I would love to hear some of those. And speaking of being unprepared, let's go to Timora's Tavern and try to solve puzzle. <laughs> Welcome to Timora's Tavern, where absurd games of fortune and skill are played for the amusement of all. Okay, so we've talked a lot about puzzles. Now it's time for us to actually test our own brains. And as I've established already that I've come around to the idea of puzzles. So I'm really looking forward to coming at this new, renewed, and open-minded. We'll see about that. <laughs> we'll see once we get into it. And I suppose this segment is about puzzles, but really it should be called Scotty's Puzzles. <laughs> because the two puzzles that we're using for it were sent in by one of our really active Discord members, Scotty Doesn't Know. Okay, so how do we go about this? 
I guess we just read out the puzzle and see see how well we do. Yes. And neither of us have seen these puzzles up to this moment right now. You are on the hunt for two druids who have kidnapped your friend. You follow their trail to a small, hard-to-find glen in the forest. The tracks for the druids abruptly end in the glen. Very good. I like this setup so far. When you enter the glen, you see three stones the size of humans, arranged in a perfect equilateral triangle. Ah, shit. We're already into equilaterals and triangles and <laughs> obtuses and oblongs. Stay calm. Each stone has a hole in it the size of a small quarterstaff. The holes were clearly carved into these stones. At the edges of the grove, you see some small purple flowers growing. Okay, yeah, okay. we're getting... The, yeah, there's a lot of elements going on here. And they all feel pretty natural, which is very cool. Okay. They are a frog shade, a nightshade flower, highly poisonous to frogs, but otherwise harmless. Okay, we can't bring our frog friends. <laughs> The local townsfolk tell you that they sometimes consume frog shade. Weirdos. It produces a small, pleasant, hallucinogenic effect for humanoids. Yeah, I mean, what else are you going to do on a Friday night? Yep. A friendly treant named Orange Leaf senses your presence, wakes up, and offers to answer any questions you have. The goal is for us to follow the druids. Yes, that's the final question. How do you follow the druids? Um, <laughs> Scotty... Thanks, Scotty. Uh, turns out I hate puzzles again. <laughs> Cancel. We're cutting this segment. <laughs> okay. How do we how do we follow the druids? So we got some staff, staff holes. holes in rocks, no footprints, and hallucinogenic flowers. Well, I guess the obvious part there is to take some drugs. Obviously, get higher <laughs> your mind. So druids, potentially wild shape. Into frogs? Oh. And die? I don't know. Yes, and? That's a thing. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, they jam their staffs in the holes. Human-sized rocks with holes in them. Hmm. Yes. Well, one downside is I can't ask Orange Leaf any questions. <laughs> that makes this particularly <laughs> challenging. Hmm. Should, Should we... we... Should we propose nothing up to this point and look at the first thing? <laughs> we have to have a guess. Okay, I'm going to take the drugs... You, well, really, in order to get into this mindset to solve this puzzle, you should probably do some hallucinogenic drugs. Yeah, makes sense. It's all about role playing. All okay. I've, all I've got is some old produce. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Orange Leaf knows what the fuck is going on. So why don't we just beat the answer out of him? That smug ass. That's okay. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. But he's friendly. Well, he's not friendly if he's letting me just stew in this current state. <laughs> Quagmire of doubt. Yeah. All right. Clue number one. If you attempt to shove any rods or staffs you possess into the holes, nothing happens. If you grab branches from the local trees and attempt to whittle them into a shape to fit the holes, nothing happens. Orange Leaf will explain to you in a tone that reminds you of a primary school teacher talking to the child who eats glue that shoving sticks into rock holes is not how baby tree ants are made. Thanks, Orange Leaf, <laughs> you sarcastic ass. I'm, yeah, I'm liking Orange Leaf more and more. I'm convinced that we gotta get high. That's gotta be. Okay. <laughs> Let's trip balls, and then we'll relook at the situation. So yeah, we, we mow on some frog shade. What do you give up? Can I reveal hint number two yet? Hint number two. So hint number two is if you touch the stones, make a DC 15 wisdom saving throw. Ah, shit. If you fail the throw, you are polymorphed into a frog for one hour. Now we're getting somewhere. I'm going to poison the shit out of you with this. Okay, well, I would have touched 
this thing. Like, I would have touched one of the rocks in-game, <laughs> like, m so long ago. I'd have been all over that thing. If you're turned into a frog, make a DC 20 wisdom saving throw to become compelled to eat the frog shade. A frog that eats frog shade gains two levels of exhaustion each time it's consumed. You must repeat this save once per 30 seconds of gameplay that you are a frog. Well, I rolled a two on your so first. So I definitely failed. You're a frog now. I rolled a 13 on the second. You eat some frog shade before I can pick you up. And I just rolled a second time and I would have died. Okay, well... You're dead. Looks like I'm figuring this one out by myself. I'm not touching that stone. So you watched all this happen. I'm I'm a dead little belly up frog now. Good. This I, adventure has come to an end. I make a I make a fire, cook your frog body, and have some frog legs. <laughs> Solved. Didn't I even lunch. try to like CPR his little <laughs> tiny little frog heart, huh? All right. So what are you gonna do? Okay. I'm gonna put all the frog shade into a bag just in case I turn into a frog. I would start verbally abusing Orange Leaf at this point for sure. Hint number three is as you spend time figuring out solutions, Orange Leaf decides she finds you amusing. She will take some of the frog's bane, roll it into a loose leaf cigar, and light and light the tip on fire. She will offer you some to you if you choose to partake the smoke has a mild hallucinogenic effect on you. I've been waiting, just waiting for her to offer. Well, I think we've already established that that was the first thing you did. Absolutely. I'm already high. As Orange Leaf smokes, large plumes of blue smoke drift out of the cigar. As the smoke cools, it falls from the air and becomes solid. If you inspect it, you find that it is soft and malleable as clay. Okay. So I would have found that out before you died and not told you, but now I'm investigating this. <laughs> <laughs> so now you whittle a little insert for those holes? Heck yeah. Yeah, I'll fill those holes full of smoke clay. Hint number four is if you shape some of the clay into a staff, you can insert it into one of the holes in the stone. The stone will hum and glow a dull green color. If you make three staves and insert them, all three stones glow and they form a teleportation circle circumscribed in the triangle. Orange Leaf will note that she was wondering where those druids had gotten off to. Perfect. Hint number five. If you go stand in the teleportation circle, nothing happens. After a few minutes, you see a small weasel come into the forest. It attempts to enter the circle and promptly poofs away. So well, that's clearly we have to be in some kind of animal form. Weasel form activate. <laughs> Maybe it's just weasels. Yeah. Maybe if we catch some weasels and hang on to them? Well, these are druids. Like, wild shape is like an average Monday morning kind of event. So so I'm going to strap your frog form onto my back just so you have a place to ride. We're going to go catch some weasels, and I'm going to make a <laughs> belt out of weasels. No, I'm in, I'm in an okay scenario. I am a frog. Right. So I'll hop in there. Okay. I, I'm in animal form. Are you following? <laughs> yes. Are you getting this? I just wanted to have a team of weasels strapped to my belt. Excellent. So I can get through without turning into an animal. Hint number six. Orange Leaf reminds you that anyone can choose to fail a save and succumb to a druid's polymorph. She tells you a bizarre story about a druid turning her into a squirrel so that she could try eating cashew nuts. She found it unbelievably fun. There's something kind of dark about a treant wanting to eat cashew nuts. Since trees make cashews? Well, there's just, there's, there's some kind of overlap there that is kind of weird. Yeah, for sure. And creepy. Orange leaf, you. Uh, it looks like 
as of hint number seven, we figured, well, we haven't figured out jack shit. (laughs) (laughs) We've revealed hint after hint. If you touch the stones while standing in the circle and succumb to the polymorph, congratulations! You are teleported to the druid's secret chambers and find your captive friend. That worked out pretty well, though, Scotty. Scotty behaved like the good DM when his party is trying to figure out how to get through a particular challenge. Kept giving us ways that the world interacts with the party and gives them little clues. So that was quite good. Though I'm still not sure how I feel about puzzles. But I do feel better about weasels and frogs. You saw how quickly I gave up on this. Yeah, I had to keep you going a little bit. (laughs) Ready for another? No. All right, well, one puzzle was more than enough to overly tax our simple minds. (laughs) So that's that segment. You know, I think that whole puzzle really does support what we were saying around having built up to some of these problems. If I knew that I was going to come across a puzzle like this, I was going to get through it a lot quicker had we established, say, even that nightshade in an earlier game. Totally. And it's heavy clay-like properties. Yeah. That would have been a, a dead giveaway. And then we would have gone, oh, I know exactly what to do. That one element would have been everything the party needed to sit there puzzle scratch their head for a couple of moments and then go and actually put I it figured together it out yeah themselves yeah all right well we have another awesome review from sicilian samurai thank you so much for leaving it honestly i just finished the fourth episode and not only has it helped me expand my idea of how to make a DD game but how to write a story in general and deal with things in my everyday life. Wow, praise too high. I may be exaggerating, but I use these lessons I learn on all fronts. This is the podcast I've been waiting for as a pretty much brand new player and soon to be first time DM. Thank you too for your work. I'm excited for you both. Nerd emoji, sword emoji, dragon emoji, crying laughing emoji, male elf emoji, book emoji, pencil emoji, dice emoji. An excellent set of emojis and an even more moving review. Thank you so much. Well, I'm really excited for your first time DM. I know this was left a little while ago, so I really hope that you started DMing and that it's been going well because man, what a great feeling this is to write stories and have your friends play through them. Making these episodes has really expanded my understanding of DMing. And it's been so enjoyable for me. And I really hope we're passing at least a bit of that alone for folks like yourself. Well, thank you very much for listening. I hope this helped with puzzles in general and switched up maybe an approach or two, or at least gave you some quick tips and ideas for building out those puzzles. Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and Reddit. Tell us more about your puzzles. And thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. And, and pencil emoji, great. dice emoji. Goodness.